True generosity is a response to God's amazing grace, his love shown through Jesus giving his life for us. The steadfast love of God secures Christians to show God's love by living with surprising generosity, experiencing the, God, the grace of God's secure embrace by letting go of what we have to show Christ's love to the world. Please join us in reading 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. Thank you, Sally. I add my greetings to those you have already heard. Good morning. Uh, if you, y'all sounded so happy in that. It's like, good morning if I have to say it. Okay. Uh, I'm glad to be with you. If you have uh, your bulletins, if you want to keep them open to the passage, or on the next page, there's actually an outline of what we're going to be talking about today. Or if you want to get crazy, go ahead and keep your Bible open or take the Bible that's off of the pew rack in front of you. We're going to walk through this passage. And as you uh, uh, turn there, look at it, focus your hearts, I want to let you know about a study that was done by the American Psycho Psycho Psychology Association about nine years ago. So it was pre-COVID, and it might actually be a little more potent now, uh, but they did a study of people and their level of happiness. And what they discovered were, was that people who chose to look for happiness and joy in materialistic things, they had a disproportionately high level of depression and anxiety, and they were, had a disproportionately lower level of satisfaction with where they were in life. You hear that? The, the, this is a secular study that shows that when we look for happiness and we look for joy in material things, then we will experience a disproportionate level of depression and anxiety and a deeper experience of a lack of satisfaction. This morning as we study this passage, it's the secure and the steadfast love of God that through Jesus invites you to solidify your soul. Joy, happiness, uh, peace in the Holy Spirit in the sole place where it can be found. It's experienced actually through letting go of other things of where we seek happiness and joy, these material things, and to realize deepening our dependency 
realizing that God's covenant care, his love never lets us go. It is in this reality where we give and open our hands and we realize that we're more secure than we thought in the hands of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's in this reality that giving becomes grace. The light just came on. Hallelujah. Right? <laughs> okay? So, yes, this is stewardship season. Okay? Uh, you know, whatever that means. Yes, you're going to get something in the mail from us. And yes, we expect you to not only have read it, but have it memorized by this time next week. All right? Just kidding. You don't have to memorize it. Please read it if you want. We'd love for you to. But here's the truth. Stewardship season is not about God needing your money. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. Stewardship season is about electrically awaking us with the gospel, reminding us of the teaching of Jesus. It truly is more blessed to give than receive. Truly we find more life when we give than when we seek to take. It is a reminder of who God has created us to be in all of our humanity. That is reflection and image bearers of him. A generous and good God. Now, if you're not a Christian and you're visiting with us today and you say, wow, I swear, every time I go to church, they talk about money, give money this, give money that. I'm not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the extravagant grace and love and generosity of a God who moves us in such a way that we cannot help but respond and to love as he has loved us. So we're going to look at two points. They're right there in your notes. Okay, the first one is we're going to see encouraging stories. Paul uses the Macedonian Christians to show surprising generosity. Second, we're going to see an empowering Savior, that Jesus Christ is the, is the image, the, the, the picture of God's surprising generosity for us, and that changes everything. So let's look at the first two verses uh, and we'll unpack this first point. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. You see here this. He's holding them out as an example for them. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, when we think of generosity, most of the time in our culture, in our country, in our society, we think of like, well, we've been given a lot, so we should, share, we should share some of that too, right? Like, let's share what God's given to us. That's not the paradigm here. The paradigm here is actually quite the opposite. They had joy, but extreme poverty. They had nothing. In fact, it's interesting, uh, it actually, there's studies that actually show that a, a greater generosity comes when there is less of material prosperity than when there is more so. Barna Research did a study, and you can find this online, uh, and they diagnosed the 50 most generous cities in America. And here's how they studied it. They looked at a percentage of the population who donated any money to charities. It's nonprofit organizations that includes churches and religious organizations. And I wonder if you know what city topped the list. This is the traditional service, so you're not going to talk back to me. I understand that. Let me give you a hint, all right? Here's the hint. It's a Texas city. 
No, it's not San Antonio. We were number 40 out of 50. You know what number one was? El Paso. That's right, El Paso specifically, and generally the Las Cruces, New Mexico, El Paso area. And it showed all through the data in the Barner Report that uh, the more wealthy populations of our country were not as generous as the places that aren't known for abundant wealth. This is exactly what we find with the Macedonian church. It's from their severe affliction. Do you see that? It's from their extreme poverty. In the, in the language there, it's originally written in Greek, it communicates, are you ready? Being crushed by life. It's from this place that they were begging to give. Now, what were they giving to? Paul is taking up a collection for the saints. Now, he was on his third missionary journey, and he's collecting things from Gentile Christians who had, who had been touched and blessed spiritually. And in places like 1 Corinthians 16 or Romans 15, all over, all over his letters, he's actually asking Gentiles to participate in giving in giving so that the poor Christians that are in Jerusalem that are suffering from a famine can actually be provided for. And we see in Acts 21, after his third missionary journey, he actually takes this, this collection, this pot of cash, back to Jerusalem, and it blesses the poor uh, Christians that are there, but also it's a witness to the unity of the church. These Gentile believers who were not Jewish by birth had been grafted in by faith in Christ, and they were truly one family. Now, from the beginning of the church, we know in places like Acts 2 and Acts 4, generosity was a mark of the church. Uh, phrases like this describe the early church. There was no need among them. Why? Because Christians who had opened their hands and shared with those who did not have. Why did they do that? Because their hearts had been touched by the generosity and love of the Lord through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Generosity, fruitfulness of generosity from the life of the, of the believer is a mark of the church. From Jerusalem, out in Judea, even to Samaria, into the ends of the earth, when the gospel grabs a heart, generosity grows from that heart. Notice the equation that Paul uses uh, to describe a wealth of generosity. In verse 2, it says, the severe test of affliction plus an abundance of joy plus their extreme poverty equals overflowing in a wealth of generosity. We don't expect this, do we? But it's still happening today. Uh, today is Stand Sunday, and this is a, a national day where the church says we are going to stand for foster and adoption. We're going to stand for life in a specific capacity so that foster families and children without homes can have a home and foster families can be supported in that. Stand Sunday. Now, we joyfully participate in uh, foster and adopt ministry in our city. You may or may not know this, but Bear County is one of the worst areas in the whole country in the foster care system. I mean, it is broken. Uh, and the church is raising their hands in different ways, saying that they want to help. And there's one story that reminded me of the, of the Macedonian church. 
A friend of mine who uh, works in this space in the city, uh, they told me that there was a family that had five kids. They were moved by the gospel to open their hearts and to open their home. And if you've had five kids and you know that pretty much fits the description of extreme poverty, right? It's like, that's a lot of mouth to feed, okay? And so they are wanting to welcome uh, a, a child that doesn't have a home to open their arms, to open their, their, uh, their love, to, to welcome those that, that do not have that. And when CPS and all the uh, child protection services always did the studies to see if their home would be okay, they found there was actually some health issues that made it so they weren't able to foster. And they were really burdened. And as they prayed about it, they decided to, to take what money that they could muster from their house, from their home. And from their joy of being touched by the gospel, they scrounged up $25,000 so that another family who wanted to foster or who wanted to adopt could have some resources to do it. You see, from a severe test of affliction, an abundant joy is overflowing generosity. From poverty to overflowing generosity is the first encouraging story, but the second one is that the Macedonian church gave beyond their means. Now, this might, this might inspire you or it might make you uncomfortable. I don't know you, I don't know each of you well enough, but for me, this is inspiring. Check this out. This is amazing. Verse three, for they, it's the Macedonian Christians, they gave according to their means, as I can testify and listen, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now, if you're like me, you're good at begging. We beg for the next phase of life, or A&M, they're begging for a new coach, right? They literally paid him $75 million to leave. That was news this morning, if you... <laughs> If you, if you hadn't heard, if you're an A&M fan, I don't know if you need tissues or you're going to celebrate. I don't know. But we beg to get the next new piece of technology. Oh, we beg to go on the next vacation, the right place. We beg to get to the next phase of life. But in this passage, the, the Macedonian church, it says that they begged for the favor, the opportunity of participating in the collection of the saints. They were begging Paul. And they were begging to give beyond their means. That's called sacrificial giving. It's giving not just from overflow, but it's giving from something that you feel. It costs you something. It's like us giving up buying coffee or going out to eat or spending money on entertainment or canceling a trip or waiting, I mean, waiting to get the newest technology or pausing our passion to get the newest clothes. It's stopping that, absorbing that cost so that we have money or resources to give to others. Sacrificial, costly generosity. It really forces us to look at our own hearts, doesn't it? Do we beg to give or do we beg to get more? Uh, I was reminded of the power of this question when I heard the story, generous giving. If you're familiar with generous giving, it's a phenomenal 
ministry. Uh, but a man named David Swanson, I actually knew David a long time ago, back in my Chattanooga days. He was a youth pastor when I first came to Christ. That's uh, amazing in and of itself. Uh, he's now the pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Orlando, Florida. It's a church a lot like this church. And David was preaching on this passage last year. And he said, you know, I've never, in all my years of ministry, he said, I've never had a congregation beg to give. I feel like stewardship season's always begging people to give. He said, I've never had a congregation beg me to give. And he showed a video. And it was a video of these women in India, these widows who lived in India, and they lived in community. And every day when they made their meal, their dinner, they kept a cup of rice and they put it on the side. And they would collect a cup of rice at every meal and they'd put it on the side. And they were saving that rice for missionaries. Missionaries who didn't have money and didn't have means, but had a mission to go reach unreached people in villages in India so that their cup of rice could accumulate and push forward and enable people to go on mission. Now that he showed this video and he gave what is, by all reports was just an okay sermon. Like it just wasn't a great sermon. But, and he says it in the video. But between services, he got a text. Now I get a lot of texts between services and rarely are they a text like this, okay? He said this. The text said, hey, me and some people, we talked about your sermon, and we are begging you to challenge our congregation to give, and we will match you. We will match them up to $250,000. So he went out to the second service, and he started preaching, and he, he gave the same, no congregations ever begged me to give until last service. And he shares it, and you know, this is what he says. In his account of what happened, this just happened last year at a church a lot like ours, he said, our church got so excited, no one wanted to be left out. He said that everybody was looking for ways to give, begging for ways to give. Kids went home, they emptied out coins, coins that had been saved. They started making little jars that said jars of rice, and they were collecting things. Everybody in their congregation wanted to give, and you know how much they ended? No agenda, no stewardship campaign, just the spirit moving. You know how much they got congregation give? $1.86 million. That is powerful. And you know why it resonates with you? Because the gospel is described in these terms. In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, Paul says this, that God's love for you was so extravagant that he didn't even spare his own son. And then he says this, and don't you know that if he didn't spare his own son, that he will not only give you everything else? You see, when we have that experience of, of the security that comes in God's steadfast love, then we are moved knowing the opportunity we have, begging to give, not just according to our means, but beyond our means, because that's exactly how we've been loved. And that's when we discover the next sub-point, that giving is an act of grace. We experience the grace. Now look at verse 5 to 7. This is what Paul says. And this, not as we expected... 
They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among this, are you ready? This act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Grace is central to this passage. The act of grace is, you cannot understand this without seeing this as an act, as grace in and of itself. In verses 1, 6, 7, 8, 9, grace is at the center. What is grace? Grace is gaining riches at someone, else, someone else's expense. It's totally unmerited generosity. And, and, and the gospel lets us know, you can think about it in an acronym. Christians get God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. And you see, we understand giving as grace because when we respond to the way God's loved us, we open our hands and you know what we realize? The deeper dependency drives us closer to the embrace of our Lord. We really discover the truth of Jesus' teaching. If you want to find life, lose it. If you want to experience gain, then give away. It is more blessed to give than receive. Simply put, when you give up what Christ has entrusted to you for the glory of King Jesus, then you will be filled up with his love in a new and a fresh way. And his love will show up through you. We've talked about generous giving, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with another ministry that facilitates generosity. I know a few of you are. I've talked about with several of you, actually, the National Christian Foundation. Now, the National Christian Foundation has all kinds of stories, but, but they are established so that families can steward what God's entrusted to them for generational impact. Uh, when I was in Memphis, I, I got to know a guy named Alan Barnhart. Maybe you've heard of Barnhart Crane. It's one of the biggest crane companies in the world. And he and his family gave 99% of their business to the National Christian Foundation. They live off of less than 1%, and they literally steward 99% of their company and all the profit for the kingdom of God. But if you look at the National Christian Foundation uh, website, you'll, you'll find a story about a guy named Jeff Rutt. And Jeff's story actually connected with me. He, he started off just, just for meager life. He was a construction worker. He decided to start his own home-building business. And I think his story is really applicable for our congregation, actually. His first big uh, contract was for 10 homes. They built it. They made some profit. They were able to, to get some capital and build a little more. Well, eventually, the company grew. And this turned. they won several national awards for excellence in home building. And, and at about the time that a company was growing, the gospel really grabbed his heart. His son was coming to work with him. His grandsons were hanging around. And he realized 
that he wanted to have a culture of generosity in his family. So they gave three quarters of their business to the National Christian Foundation. And here's why this is such a powerful and I think applicable thing for us. Because the video shows these interviews of the son and even the grandkids around, but the son especially, talking about the family business, not in the sense of like, I can't wait to carry it and to profit, move it forward. I can't wait. For all. He, he was, I am so joyful that we can do excellent work in our business for the kingdom and use this much of our profit for the gain of the kingdom of God and the glory of Jesus. Generations, literally, taking their business and stewarding it for generational kingdom impact. You see, that's when you know generosity, giving, is an act of grace. It's a beautiful picture, not only of the gospel for others, but of deepening our faith and our, our own understanding of the gospel. Stories of surprising generosity, they don't stand alone. They're not held out as some sort of moral example where it's like, now go do this and Jesus will love you. No, you misunderstand it. You see, the second point is this. An empowering Savior is what makes it happen. It is Jesus Christ and his surprising generosity for us. I need you to hear this. True generosity never begins with your work for God. It always begins with God's work for you. It's a response of grace and a proof of authentic love, love that's touched our hearts and touches others through our lives. Verse 8 makes this clear. Generosity is revealed. Genuine love is revealed in fruitful generosity. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove. That is something that's been tested something that's an example that is reliable you can lean to, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. Generosity, giving, it's fruit of love. It's proof of love. A secure relationship with Jesus means you're secure enough to sacrificially, strategically, abundantly give. Now, when we know God's love, here. We will show God's love here. This is why Paul says in verse 5, it's very important that the Macedonian church first gave themselves to the Lord. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if your treasure is Jesus Christ, then you will build treasure in heaven. By using your treasure, your time and your talents to build his kingdom here. The last thing that we see is not just genuine love revealed in fruitful generosity, generosity that grows from the ground of God's grace, but the, we see that God's grace is the ground from which generosity grows. Look at verse 9. See this? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, may become rich. Jesus was rich. He lived in heaven, yet he became poor, born 
to a teenage woman in the backwaters of the Middle East so that by his poverty you might become rich. God loves us first. God lives on our behalf so that people like me who are not overflowing with abundant generosity, who actually seek treasures of this earth and find security in this world so people like me can have a representative, a perfect life. Jesus went to die on the cross to pay for my sins, to pay for my idolatry, to pay for my materialism, the sin of loving things of this world more than loving him, the false gods, the false worship that I have. Jesus died to pay for my sin so that I could be born again by his grace. So much so that if this is a reality, if you look at my life and you don't see generosity, I don't want you to look at me and say, you need to be more generous. I want you to look at me and say, Mitchell, what do you not believe about the gospel? You see that? If my life isn't generous, I want you to say, hey, Mitchell, where are you looking for security outside of God's steadfast love? Where are you looking for significance outside of being a child of God? Where are you looking for status outside of your union with Christ? Where are you looking for strength outside of the riches of Holy Spirit that God has given us? You see, when my life is not marked with generosity, it means I'm not believing something in my heart about what God has done for me. He was rich, but he became poor so that I might become rich in love and grace and good works so that I might not set my heart and my hope on the riches of this world, but that I, with you, might live for the riches of eternity. That the surprising grace of God shown to us through the personal work of Jesus Christ, might be the ground that we walk forward, not boasting in our own effort, but because there is no condemnation in Christ, because of the extravagant love of God in Christ, because of the truth that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ, nothing in all creation, and because there is an eternity, and because there is an evil and dark power in this world that needs the light and the hope of gospel, because people haven't heard about Jesus and salvation, because people are being ruined by addiction and exploitation, because there is darkness and God has called his people to be light, because God has loved us, we love the world. Oh my, I was not planning to get that excited. <laughs> Have mercy. I hope that that did not offend any of you. One final story. Beverly in her IRA. This is another story that comes from uh, one of those ministries I mentioned, Generous Giving. You know, we, we, we can't not tell the story of the widow who gave all she had, just a couple of copper coins. And Jesus looked at her heart and said that she'd given more than anybody. It's a heart issue. But another widow, this woman, Beverly, she got in trouble. She had worked her whole life, and the gospel touched her heart. And she got in trouble with her accountant. Because her accountant said, look, 
We're preparing for you to retire. We need you to strategically give to your IRA. We need you to give more than the 10% so that you have enough to live off of. Last year, you gave more than you brought in, and it's unsustainable. And Beverly says in an interview, shouldn't I be more ambitious with building the kingdom of God through what is entrusted to me than I am building my own comfort after I quit working? Shouldn't I be more intentional to give more than what I need to be comfortable after I retire so that when I get to eternity, that there are treasures in heaven? Shouldn't that be? She turned it on the accountant. And I watched that so convicted because I spend much more time thinking about my retirement than I do surprising the world with generosity as Christ has surprised us with generosity. You see, friends, <laughs> this isn't a sermon about you needing to give to God. He doesn't need your money. This is a sermon that celebrates how God has given to you for you to diagnose your heart, diagnose the fruit of your life, generosity, to see the opportunity to know his love for you and to find everything your heart hungers for, security, significance, status, strength, whatever it is, in the work of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy and, I, and your forgiveness. I pray that your forgiveness would come first to me, the chief of idolaters in this room. I ask, Lord, that you'd overwhelm us with the generosity of your love. And Lord, I pray that whatever was said today that was of the flesh and not of you and from you would be struck from our minds and our memories and that your Holy Spirit would bear fruit from that which comes from you. Our desire, Lord, is that your kingdom come and your will be done in our hearts and our homes and our neighborhoods and among the nations. And so we pray that you would bear a harvest of righteousness to that end. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.